The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's just say that last bit again. It's amazing. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Show your appreciation to God for His words. Amen. You can be seated. This is an amazing psalm. I love it. I mean, you've read this psalm. This is a famous psalm. This psalm is often used at funerals, and rightly so, but it's also a psalm about life. Yeah, so you don't need to read it until you're dead. You can read it now. That's good news. It's about life. It's about how God guides you in life and indeed in death and in eternity. It's written by a guy called David. David was a famous king, probably the most famous of Israel's kings going down through the history. Uh, David, significantly, had been a shepherd before he became a king. In fact, he was called the shepherd king. He was famous. It was probably written in his latter years, even though he was a shepherd when he was a teenager before he became a king, its commentators believe that it was probably written in his latter years. And the reason they can include that is because if you look at the psalm, it's describing the journey of a person's life. It's describing a full life, not, not the early stages, but it's describing a full life, someone who's gone through stuff. So I think what it is, it's, it's King David's, probably in his latter years, gone through some stuff. Yeah, everyone been through some stuff. And he's remembering back to when he was a, a shepherd in his teenage years, and he's thinking, God, you're just like that. Right, so I'm just going to, just for, to make it understandable, I'm going to break the psalm into three sections. The first section, verses 1 to 3, is about God, the shepherd, God, and his provision. And then the second section, verses 4 to 5, and for the first section will take a bit longer because there's a lot to say about that. Second section, verses 4 to 5, is about the shepherd's and his protection. And the third section, verses 5 to 6, is about the shepherd's presence in our lives. So let's start with the shepherd's provision in our lives. Let's read the verses again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Why capital L-O-R-D? It's not just done like that to, it's not like text speak, it's just trying to make an emphasis point, okay? It's not just capitals to make it look stand out. It's capitals because it, it refers to something that's going on in the Hebrew language behind the scenes. Uh, and what's going on behind the scenes in the Hebrew language is capital L-O-R-D, is reference to the covenantal name of God, the revealed name of God. He first revealed himself by, it, it, literally, it literally translates the one who is, or Yahweh, which means the one who is, or Jehovah, the one who is. You know, when we sang that song, Hallelujah, Yahweh, Yah, it's saying, praise the one who is, praise Yahweh. So it's not saying any other God. It's saying, this is, this is the one we're praising. It's praise the one who is, the one who's revealed himself, the one who always has been. He first revealed himself by this incredible name in Exodus 3, verse 13, where he had this dialogue with Moses, and Moses said to him, now, they may say to me, what's his name? Talking about God, what's your name? And what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. I mean, that's an incredible name of God. He's just saying, I am. In other words, he's saying, no beginning, no ending, self-existent, self-determining, not dependent on anyone else, but everything depends on him. He simply is, always has been, always will be, the eternal, self-sufficient, self-determining God. What a great self-disclosure. God chose, okay, that's my name. That's how he disclosed himself, capital L-O-R-D. So whenever you see that, it occurs about 5,000 times in the Old Testament. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to this covenant name of God, Yahweh. So the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. So let's just flip ahead now. Who's Jesus? Jesus, when he was born, an angel spoke to his dad, Moses, Sorry, Joseph. (laughs) And Noah was there as well. Uh, But before then, the angel spoke to Joseph. And he said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she shall bear a son, talking about Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is obviously, New Testament is written in Greek, Old Testament is Hebrew. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. Jesus is none other than God, the self-sufficient one, the one who had no beginning, no ends, who's entered into human history. He himself said, when he was debating with the uh, Pharisees, the religious, religious leaders of his day, John eight fifty eight, he said, truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am and, and the Pharisees, if you read on in the verses, it says they took up stones to stone him because they knew that he was claiming to be God. And he didn't say, no, no, guys, you misunderstood me. He just, he just, he just missed them. He, so he is none other than God. That's what he claimed to be. It's like he was speaking to the crowds and he was saying, you see, I am the son of God. And they say, no way. And said, Yahweh. It's amazing. It's all in there, folks. So who is the Lord, my shepherd? Capital L, Lord, who is he? He's Yahweh. He's Jesus. Jesus is my shepherd. Jesus in John 10 verse 11 said, I am the good shepherd. David's writes to Sam and says, the Lord's my shepherd. You see, David's had an incredible life. He was a famous king. Everyone knew he'd been a shepherd, and that was one of the reasons God chose him to be king, because he he was so diligent with those sheep, and God figured, if you're so diligent with sheep, I'm going to trust you with my people. You can become king. But here's the shepherd king saying that the Lord is my shepherd. So here's a king saying, I've got a king. Here's a shepherd saying, I've got a shepherd. Now, if a shepherd king, a man of great importance— A man who, if anyone could be self-sufficient, a shepherd king could be. If a shepherd king says he needs a shepherd king, then how much more you and I? Jesus Christ is absolutely essential for every human life. I know. (laughs) He saw God as his shepherd. He was his personal shepherd. And because God's shepherd, it infers something about us. It infers that we are sheep. Say ba. Now, folks, this is really is not a compliment the Bible's giving us here. When it's saying we are sheep, in Isaiah 53, verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. You see, when it's saying we're sheep, this is not like a, oh, warm, fuzzy things. No, this is thickness. This is speaking about our thickness in life. It's talking about our stupidity. See, sheep, you know, if you're driving along the road and there's a sheep at the side of the roads and you're going to pass the sheep, you just think, it's going to run out in front of me. I know it is. Instead of running into the field away from the road, it runs, oh no, a car coming. I've got to run right across its path. <laughs> it runs right. And then sometimes what they do is they run out in front of you. It's like, no car. It runs right in front of your car. Then it runs along the road in front of the car. You say, no, it's a car. It just keeps running along the road in front of the car. Sheep are incredibly thick. Sheep fall off cliff edges because the grass is really green near the edge of the cliff. You know, sheep are just thick. Sheep go astray. Sheep are helpless. They're defenseless. A uh, 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 wolf comes, it's got nothing to defend itself with. Sheep need leadership. 
Without leadership, sheep just, just, just die. Sheep are just rubbish, right? They're just rubbish. No, they are. Sorry, sheep lovers, but they really are. They're nervous. They're constantly paranoid and nervous. You know, you kind of go, boop, and, and the sheep ah, just run and scatter across fields. This is, but the Bible infers that because of the Lord's our shepherd, it infers that we're indeed sheep. And it says this in many places in the Bible. We'll come back to that thought. The Bible says, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when Yahweh, the self-sustaining one, the one who always has been, always will be, Jesus himself, the good shepherd, when he's your shepherd, you have no wants. Literally, you have no wants. And it's interesting, David wasn't speaking because he was a king and he had everything. Sure, he was speaking as a king who had everything. But that wasn't what he was saying. He wasn't saying, see, look, I've got no wants. I've got everything I need in life. Because all kings had that, and some kings didn't have God as their shepherd. Because here's the truth. If you had asked David, is God your shepherd, when maybe 20 years before that, when he was on the run for his life in the wilderness? Have you read some of those Psalms when David's in the run for his life in the wilderness? You read them. He's very content. He's still got no wants. In fact, before he had any successes, any Goliath conquests or anything like that, when he was a shepherd boy on the hills, the truth is he would have still said, I have no wants. Wouldn't it be great to go through life going from poverty to riches, and despite what happened with your bank account or what happened with your surroundings, you were able to say, I have no wants. Perfectly contented. God has no problem with you having stuff. He also has no problem with having no stuff. God just thinks you're great. You see, I shall not want is not about having everything. I shall not want is about having God. That's it. If you've got God, you have arrived. You've so arrived in life. So just let that truth about Yahweh, the self-sustaining creator, is my shepherd's. Let it bring you to a place of where you have no wants. Notice this is the beginning of the psalm. He hasn't gone on to talk about any of the benefits of God. I mean, the psalm goes on to talk about how he leads us and provides for us and does all these things for us. Before talking about any of that, before any of the benefits are listed, he just says, I have no want. In fact, we could just stop there. We could just stop verse 1, just stop, and we've understood the entire psalm because actually it's not about the benefits. They're just the incredible byproducts that God being shepherd, of course he will do all those things for us. But the truth is, He's my shepherd. I have no wants. That's what it's all about. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. He provides. That's why you have no wants. He provides. He provides you with great contentment, but he also provides for you in life. My friends, I was preaching up in a church up north. Uh, my friend's a pastor of it. It's a, it's a great church. It's a growing church in Perth. And it, he's the pastor of this church. He's become the pastor in maybe the last five or six years. And he has got probably four of the wealthiest people in Scotland in his congregation, okay? And they've said to him, pastor, whatever you want to do, you know, you see the dreams you've got in your heart, we can help make it happen. I thought to myself, that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) But then I realized it is already pretty cool because... God's my shepherd. I don't need Brian Suter. I love Brian Suter. He's a great guy, but I don't need him in my congregation. God's my shepherd. I literally have no wants. You see, where God guides, God provides. God's will, God's bill. God, if he wants to lead our congregation to take an incredible step, I can assure you, Every single penny we need will be provided. And that's a great truth. You know, in the Paris Dakar rally, um, y'all do it. Um, But at each stage, at each stage, you get the food and the fuel and the resources you need for the next stage. You don't get all the food and fuel and resources you need for the next three stages. You just get the food, fuel, and resources you need just for that next stage. 
And that's exactly what it's like when you're following the shepherd. He just leads you, and you have everything you need for that next stage. You have the resources, the people around you, all that you need to take the next step that God is calling you to take, you already have it. Because that's the nature of the shepherd covenantal God. And in verse 2 it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Truth is this, sheep only lie down when they are well fed and entirely secure from all enemies and danger. And the fact that this is saying this, it makes me lie down in green pastures. It's talking about the rest you can have in God because of the nourishment you can find in God. Listen, if you think you're, if you're looking to people to provide your nourishment, you're looking to the wrong source. If you're looking to environments to provide your nourishment, you're looking to the wrong source. Now, God can use people and God can use environments, but you've got to look to God's to be your source. People, do you hear me? You got Because some of you are really looking to others to be your source, and you're totally missing the point. When God's a shepherd, He will provide you with all you need, and you will be well-nourished in God's. And when you're well-nourished in God, that's when, like a sheep, you can lie down because you're well-fed. And there's no fear of enemies, and we'll come to that again in a moment because that theme picks up again. Verse 2, it says, He leads me. Say, He leads me. He leads me beside quiet waters. How does God, the shepherd, lead us? Lots of, lots of ways. Here's three of them. Number one, through His words. A shepherd will give His word, and, and that gives you leadership. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus went ashore, He saw a large crowd, and He felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So He began to teach them many things. Jesus' teaching became like a shepherd's directing of sheep. God's words, you read the Bible, tell you it directs your life. There's no shortcuts. You can't piggyback on someone else's faith. Get a Bible. If you haven't got, if you haven't got a Bible, speak to Sammy or one of the leaders. We'll make sure you have one. We will give you one. You ha- this, these are words of life. Marinate your soul in this book. Let it impact you in the deepest areas of your soul. Live by it. Don't live by tradition. Don't live by secondary things. Don't live by opinions. Live by the words of God. The opinions of God, let them count more to you than your, even your very own opinions. And let it impact your life and provide you with a great foundation for a great future. God's words, Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He leads you with his Holy Spirit. So he gives you his word, but he also gives you his spirit. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep, hear my voice. How do you know you're his? Jesus said you hear his voice. Some, I, I understand that some people say, oh, God told me this and God told me that, and you're around them all the time. You're thinking, I don't hear that much compared to you. Anyone had that? Don't worry about it. You're his. You will hear his voice. And actually, he works in, to different people in different ways. Some of us are different personality types. And actually, he goes with that. He made them that way. He made you that way. But everyone hears God different. But I can assure you, he will see to you hear his voice, and he will guide you. And sometimes it doesn't come with that loud voice in your head. It comes rather with a gentle whisper. And as you're, as you're walking with God and as you're acknowledging him, he just speaks to you, just directs you. And the third way the shepherd leads you is through leaders. Listen to this, First Peter chapter 5. Peter the apostle picks up the theme of the shepherd, the great shepherd, and he talks about how he's given us shepherds to the church. You know the word pastor? Pastor is actually Latin for the Greek word for poimen, shepherd, in the New Testament. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 2, to, to church leaders. It says, church leaders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not in the pursuit of dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, when the chief shepherd appears, it's Jesus, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. And that's a great encouragement. It's a great sobering encouragement to leaders. In other words, leadership, don't use it to your own advantage. Don't lord it over people. Don't pursue titles. Don't do it for financial gain. Walk with a humility and serve God's people because one day you're going to be accountable to the ultimate shepherd. And church, this is the truth. I believe God, God speaks to you personally and directly through his word and through his spirit but also God wants you to understand that one of the key ways he will speak to you is through good leadership around you. It's a safeguard for your soul. 
And also good leaders have to have people around them so they have also a safeguard to their soul. There is wisdom among great leaders. There is wisdom among people. So just let me say this. You know what? I mean, don't, don't be weird and don't be going extreme like you have to ask. I've got to ask the pastor permission to go and buy a pair of jeans. And oh, that would be weird, right? Uh, but it's, I'm talking about the major decisions in life. You're going you're to totally relocate your life somewhere else. Then it's completely wise to ask the spiritual authority over your life, what do you think of this? Now, I tell you what, when someone comes to me with that question, here's the things that are in my mind. Is there a good church there? Is is God actually leading you or are you just going for the money? I'm asking things that are actually important for you. I might ask you questions that your buddies, who just want to tell you what you want to hear, I might ask you questions that your buddies might not ask you because I'm accountable for my advice and your buddies maybe aren't. But I, I know I'm going to stand before the chief shepherd and so the other elders and pastors in the local church here you know, should I marry this chick? I know she's a devil worshiper, but she's really hot. Could I, should I marry her pastor? Tell you, mate, listen, we're going to tell you the advice she really needs. No, okay. Just on that one? No. So do you understand? You, you, use the pastors in your church. Be part of a local church. Be under a good leadership. It's to the advantage of your own soul. Um, if you need pastoral help, every Thursday we have a thing called a pastoral surgery. Runs from 12 o'clock right through into the evening. So, and what we all you need to do is if you need a pastoral appointment with one of the team, and typically pastoring happens through our small groups, and that's great, but sometimes you need to ask someone who's a big decision you've got and you need to talk to one of the senior team. Make an appointment with the pastoral surgery on Tuesdays, sorry, Thursdays. Okay, verse three says, he restores my soul. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel verse 30, chapter 34. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord, sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. This is how God shepherds people. This is God describing himself as a shepherd, now exactly how he leads people. When it says he restores my soul, how does God restore a sheep's soul? How does God restore a human being's soul? It's interesting. One of the ways is sheep can, can have this situation because they're called cast. The sheep can become cast. And what it means, a cast sheep is a sheep that's rolled over onto its back. There's a picture of one here. Oh, there's the verse. Picture one here. And this is not like a sheep chilling out. This is a sheep dying, right? This is not good. When a sheep rolls onto its back and if there's a dip in the ground... The sheep will end up on its back and literally cannot maneuver itself back onto its feet again. And what happens if it's there long enough, the, it will start to dehydrate. The blood will leave its feet. It, its, its, its legs will become uh, numb. It will, it, it will start, to, start to shut down. And it's vulnerable as well. So it's very vulnerable to wolves and to, to vultures. In hot countries, the dehydration can kill a sheep within a day. In, in other climates like, like Scotland and other places, a cast sheep could live for several days. But the truth is, literally, a cast sheep is utterly helpless. It's literally helpless. And it needs the shepherds to put it back on its feet. In fact, even after the shepherd puts it back on its feet, it can't because its, its legs are numb. It have to, the shepherd puts it on its shoulders and carries the sheep. And the truth is, how does he restore our soul? The answer is this. You and I are helpless to save ourselves. We need God. We cannot save ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, 6 to 8, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Earlier on, it says, while we're still helpless. Later on, it says, while we're still sinners. Do you know what helplessness means? It means being a sinner. You and I are powerless to deal with our own sin. And you, you, might, you might be a human being, and you're very adequate. You maybe got great qualifications. It may be that you've got everything going well for you in life. You've maybe got so many things going your way, and you feel quite self-sufficient, really. But the truth is, when it comes to sin... Human beings can't deal with their own sin. You're like a sheep on its back. You need a shepherd to put you the right way around. 
I remember 13th of October 2010, me, Angie, and the kids were going to go away for a short October break, and we were getting the flight, I think it was to Malta or something. We got a cheap deal. And we were waking up very early in the morning to catch the flight, and I remember putting the news on, and it was at the time when the, the uh, coal miners in Chile were being brought out of the mine. You remember that? Okay, and TV was on, it was live, and the, we watched live the first guy coming up. Most people were asleep when that happened, so we were awake. We watched the first guy coming up, and it was just an incredible moment. And it's interesting, in reflecting, the guys had been down there, 33 miners, 68 days had been buried underground. They were buried 700 meters down, and they were three miles from the entrance to the coal mine. They needed international team with NASA to devise a plan to get them out of that hole. They couldn't save themselves. Here's what Jose Henriquez, one of the 33, said. He was recently speaking at a, a Dallas University. He was speaking at a chapel, a service in Dallas University. And here's what he said. At the end of his talk, they, they all gave him a standing ovation. And, and here's what he said. He says, please don't give me praise. The glory goes to Jesus Christ. He is the one who accomplished this. See, here's a man who understood, do you know what? Spiritually speaking, I couldn't save myself. And when I was down that coal mine, I couldn't save myself. I needed help. It says in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, Jesus he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter. We, like sheep, before sorry, and like sheep is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. The Bible here tells us that we're like sheep who's gone astray, but the Bible also tells us that the shepherd became like a lamb. The one who is the ultimate shepherd, the Lord who is my shepherd, became like a lamb. When Jesus walked the earth, John the Baptist said in John 1, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin makes us helpless. We cannot solve our own sin. Jesus, the shepherd, came and became a lamb to deal with our sin. John 10, Jesus said in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Just before talking about this, he was talking about how wolves will come and try and steal away those sheep. And then he, he continues that thought and says, the thief, the wolves, Satan, and sin, and death. The, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The way you can be rescued from sin, and the only way you can be rescued from sin, is not by religiousness, it's not by moral duties, it's not by earning your way to God. The only way a human being can be saved from sin is that they trust the Savior, who is the shepherds, who became a lamb and died on behalf of lambs. His blood takes away our sin. It's the only way you can be forgiven and restored to relationship with God. It's the only way. And He resurrected on the third day, and He's power to save you today. So if you are not saved today, if you don't know God, if you don't know Him as your shepherd, I don't just know, you know He is the shepherd. Is He your shepherd? Is He my shepherd? If you don't know Him, then run to Him today. You're like a sheep on your back. I don't care if you're a lawyer. I don't care how self-sufficient you are. I don't care how much money you've got in your bank. You are needy, and you're on your back, and without God, you need put right way up. He restores my soul. The shepherd became a lamb and died in my place. He restores my soul. How else? He retrieves and rescues straying sheep. And Jesus, you remember the parable? Jesus said the shepherd goes after the lost sheep. And do you know what? There are straying sheep. Some of you know them. And God's heart breaks for the straying sheep. Maybe God wants to go after them through you. Those people you know who are away from God, who know there's a God and they know better, then maybe God wants to use you as a means by which God can bring them back. But God is into rescuing straying sheep. He's done it with some of you. And thank God he's going to do it with thousands of people in our city. How are sheep restored ultimately? Listen to this amazing verse in Revelation. Revelation 7, 14 to 17. These are they. This is talking about, this is amazing picture that John is seeing in this, 
in Revelation, he's seeing this picture of heaven, and he's seeing this huge multitude that no one could number, and he says, these are they who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes, and they made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Only the Lamb's blood can deal with your moral sin. Therefore, they are before the throne of God to serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits in the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor the scorch, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne. Notice where Jesus is. He's at the center of the throne. God doesn't share His throne with anyone. Jesus is none other than God. The Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them by springs of living water. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I tell you, this shepherd is your shepherd and restores your soul in this life and in eternity. Verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I, I was down in Guernsey visiting my sister and her husband, Tim. Uh, was, we were out one night and it was late and we were taking a shortcut through the woods back to his house. And it was a steep-sided slope in St. Peter's Port and it had drops down there, and it had a cliff edge up here and a cliff edge down there. But it was dark, and there was woodlands, and Tim had grown up here. So Tim knew this place at the back of his hand. He ran around there as a kid. He knew it well. So he just he, he, he came and led us confidently into the darkness of this wood. And he said, follow me. I know where I'm going. And he just walked off and went, whoa. And we heard him kind of cascade down this hillside. I said, Tim, you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. He's kind of like 30, 40 foot down there. We went back the next day, and we could see the path. You know, there was a path, but this, you can still see trodden grass going off the path, and there was a cliff edge. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't die, right? But he tumbled down, follow me! And you know, how often times in life do we off, go off our own tangents, right? And we just ends up in train trash. It's just horrendous choice. He says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. As you follow God... God will lead you in paths of righteousness. Some of you, at some point, you're going down a wrong path. You're not in a path of righteousness. Maybe it's even not in the whole life. Maybe just, it's actually just in an area of your life. You trace it back. There was a moment where you made a choice that, actually, I'm going to do this one my way. I'm not going to follow the shepherd and you've gone off on a wrong path. It's not a path of righteousness. And actually, it's because you desire something that you think somehow or another the shepherd isn't going to give you. So you've got to come back to that truth. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. Even if all I had was just you, that's enough. But actually, with you, I can get everything else I need in life. So I'm going to stick with you. But don't hijack the process. Don't go off on a wrong path. And the truth is this. You want to live a righteous life? Some people think, all right, I'll focus on the laws, obeying the Ten Commandments. That's doing it the wrong way around, folks. Instead, focus on the shepherd. Focus on the shepherd. And what will automatically happen is he will lead you in paths of righteousness. And then we come to the second section, protection, verses 4 and 5. And this section and the last section will be a bit shorter. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's not saying, I'll fear no evil in the valley of the shadow of death because I know some kung fu moves and I've got a knife. Right? He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm going to fear no evil, even with these predators around me, these dangers all around me. I'm going to fear no evil in the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because the Lord is with me. David Livingston, a famous Scottish missionary to Africa, he describes in his journal a time when he was going through a terrible, terrible time. He was in a particular place, and the local tribesmen were very, very hostile, and there was, there was tensions mounting, and he could hear them outside his house. And he was, you know, he was panicked. And to be honest, he was just going to do a runner. And in that moment, he prayed, and he opened the Bible, and he read the words of Jesus, the last words of Jesus before ascending. And he said, and this is the words, it says, "'Go make disciples of all nations.'" Matthew 28, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. 
and he wrote in his journal, it is the word of a gentleman, the most strict and sacred honor, and there's an end of it. I will not escape secretly tonight as I intended. I feel quite calm now, thank God. He understood that if a gentleman gives his words, he sticks by it. And when Jesus said, surely I'm with you to the very ends, he said, that's enough for me. David Livingston, middle of his missionary times, returned to Glasgow for a period. And when he was in Glasgow, uh, he was awarded a doctorate by Glasgow University. And he, he went up to give a speech at that moment. And in the speech, uh, he said this, I am returning to Africa with misgiving and with great gladness. Would you like me to know what has supported me through the years of exile among a people whose language I don't understand and whose attitudes towards me is always uncertain and often hostile? It is this, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. On these words, I staked everything and they never fail. Here's the truth. David Livingston found strength knowing that God was with him. He could face anything knowing that God was with him. Those Chilean miners, Jose Henriquez said, it was amazing to watch the Lord responding to us, even in the darkness down that mine. That was the reason we could become tranquil. God didn't need any doors to get down there in the mine where we were. Every time we called on his name, he came. He was there. He was present. You could go through the darkest time in life, And just the knowledge that he's with you keeps you. It's really robust. Question, how did the sheep end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Think about it. How was the sheep there in the first place? The answer is, he was there because the sheep was following the shepherd. Isn't that an interesting thought? So who led him into the valley of the shadow of death? Dramatic knock. The shepherd. That's what I'm seeing in the psalm. The sheep's there. It's not a sheep that's been straying. It's a sheep that is pursuing God and in a pursuit of the shepherd. The shepherd led him into the valley of the shadow of death. Interesting thought. In fact, David, when he was a teenage boy, chose to make God his shepherd. And it was only because he made God his shepherd that he faced Goliath. And he went through that wilderness. And he went through all those battles. If he had ignored God and not done God's will, he wouldn't have faced Goliath or gone through the wilderness or faced all those battles. You look at Daniel. In fact, you could do this with any character in the Bible. You look at Daniel. It was the very fact that Daniel chose the tough path. I'm going to follow God amidst this incredible place called Babylon. And because of that, it was because God was a shepherd that he went to the lion's den. You know, if he didn't care anything about God, he would have just gone with the flow and not stood up for himself and not put his neck above the parapet. But it was because God was a shepherd that he ended up in the lion's den and he faced the stuff, right? I look back at my life and I think, you know, moving to Edinburgh, starting a church... Lots of people told me, don't do that. Lots did. Lots of people told me, just join another church and help support it. But I heard God tell me to, and it was because God was my shepherd and it put me through stuff. Life has been more painful in the last 15 years leading a church than it would have been had I not of. Choosing God as my shepherd actually led me into valleys of the shadow of death. Not the easy option in life. It is a phenomenally good option but it's not an easy option. So you make him your shepherd. Instead of cohabiting and just having sex, God will say, get married, take responsibility. I know, I know it's not the easy option, but it's the great option. Uh, making God your shepherd, you think, I'm not just going to use my money for me. I'm going to use money to make a difference in church and with people and with missions and with the poor. And, right? Not the easy option, but it's a great option. You make God your shepherds. You step up and become a leader. Or you serve people and make a difference with your life. 
You have more time on your hands if God's not your shepherd. Absolutely. You can have an easy life, easy life, without God being in your life, or without any desire to do anything for the Lord or pursue a dream. Absolutely. You can have an easy life like that. And following God might mean you go through valleys of shadow of death. Following God might mean, like a couple of the guys this year, you've gone to Destiny College. You've got full-time employment to go to Bible College. Maybe for some of you here, God will call you to take that step this coming September, October. God being a shepherd frees you up to live a radical life because you know He's got your back covered. It frees you up to know that even if He leads you into tough places, He's my shepherd. That's great. It frees you up to live the radical. And the safest place on planet Earth is the will of God. You could be in Saudi Arabia with the threat of beheading if you speak up and try and convert people, and yet God's called you to be there. You are in the safest place ultimately on planet Earth. And you could be in the most dangerous place on planet Earth, living an average, wishy-washy, Western, comfortable life where you give lip service to God every so often, but you never really radically live for God. You're in a dangerous place spiritually. Verse 4, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the rod and the staff, here's a picture of the rod and the staff. The staff is like a walking stick with a hook at the ends, and the, the rod is it's like a chib. It's, you know, it's for attacking. The rod is literally a weapon to defend the sheep and to ward off animals, and it would be clipped to the shepherd's waistline. And the staff with the hook in it is there to uh, protect the sheep and to move the sheep along or to pull the sheep back or to pull the sheep out of rivers that they've got stuck in or whatever. And you have two enemies of your soul. One enemy is Satan himself. And Jesus Christ defends you against Satan. Remember David when he was looking after the sheep up on the hill and a lion and a bear came to steal away the sheep? The Bible says that David, instead of just letting the sheep go with the lion and the bear, that David pursued the lion and he killed the lion. Wow! You know, we would just say, oh, have the sheep. You didn't eat me, I'm quite happy. But he pursued, and then he did it with the, the bear as well. He, he took on the bear, and he took on the lion. Why? Because that was his sheep, and he was looking after it. No wonder God says, 1 Samuel 13, 4, God called him a man after his own heart. No wonder, because that's exactly how God shepherds human beings. He comes and takes on the enemies of your soul, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took on Satan. And even though it looked like Satan defeated him, actually what Jesus did on the cross defeated Satan. He took away Satan's legal grounds of accusation against you, and he rescued you from his claws for all eternity. And then he, he deals with the other arch enemy of your soul. Satan's one of the arch enemies of your soul. But you ready for the next one? The next arch enemy of your soul is your character. Do, 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 do. So dodgy. If he just left us to our character, we would be so messed up, right? Just take Sammy, for example, okay? Imagine Sammy without God helping him. you imagine that? God help us. What does a staff do? A staff pulls you back. A staff corrects you. A staff is all about God's correction in your life. You think about David's. Think about David in his later on years. David made a big mistake in the later years. In fact, I think David wrote this psalm after he made that mistake. He committed adultery with a lady called Bathsheba, and he murdered her husband. In terms of, if we're going to weigh sins against sins, I'd say they're kind of heavyweight sins. And God sent Nathan the prophet to pull him back. God sent Nathan the prophet like a, like God, this is like God's staff. Nathan went and pulled him back from the edge there. Did you know that God's correction when you're doing stupid things is a comfort? I know you would rather just say, God, just ignore me, just let me go my way. But you know, there's no comfort in that at all. I think David in reflection thought, God, you know what? If you hadn't sent Nathan to me, I would have ended up growing old without you and dying without you. 
And you think, God, what a comfort. You cared for me as a shepherd so much you sent Nathan to correct me. And you need to understand that God is so dedicated and in love with you that when you're blowing it, he will reprimand you and pull you back because he loves you so much. Revelation says, those whom he loves, he disciplines. My wife's a teacher. And you know what? She puts the boundaries in place with those kids. She, she loves those kids, but she also doesn't hold back when it comes to discipline. And some of the kids that she's having to discipline almost day in, day out, and day in and day out, because they're just nuts. Some of the particularly nuts kids, right? You know, Sammy would have been one of them as a kid. Some Ed, you know, those kind of kids. She, man, she just, she just lays down. She puts the boundaries in place. She doesn't give them an inch. And she just constantly is on their case to make sure their behavior is reined in. And at the end of the week, they're the ones who come to Angie with a wee love note saying, Mrs. Anderson, we think you're an amazing teacher. I thought you'd hate me at the end of this week. I've put so many boundaries in place around your life. And yet, do you know what? This, sometimes it's just what the kids have never had. And it's what they've been longing for. And as a human being, it is a comfort to know that God will rein you in when you get it wrong. Thank you, God. Permission given. Please do it. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Wow. For time's sake, we won't read it, but in 2 Samuel 17, David in the run for his life in the wilderness, three men who were not Israelites, uh, one called Brasilia, he came and he provided a meal for David, a, a lavish feast in, front of, in the middle of David being in the run for his life. And it's an amazing picture that even when you're going through the tough times, God nourishes you and provides for you. And then the final thing is this. First of all, it was God's provision. Secondly, the shepherd's protection. And then thirdly, the shepherd's presence. Verse 5, it says, You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. I mean, if anything's an allusion to the Holy Spirit, this is, right? The truth is, in those ancient times, shepherds would put oil on the sheep's head and that would actually deal with some of the ticks and the lice and the different parasites because it would starve the parasites of oxygen and they would have to come out and they would deal with them that way. But I think the analogy goes much further here. It's talking about how when you come to God, He empowers you. He isn't just with you. The Bible says He lives in you by His Holy Spirit. And that's the analogy of the cup overflowing. It says in verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. In fact, you can read that with me. You got it there? One, two, three. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. An amazing promise. Now, the house of the Lord, in David's day, it wasn't even the temple. It hadn't been built. It was the tabernacle. It was a kind of ramshackle tent. But for him, it wasn't about how cool it looked. For David, it was all about, that's where God is. Today, the house of the Lord is this thing we call the church. Not a building, but a people, a gathering. And David's commitment was, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to urge you, folks, one of the ways the shepherd leads you is by you being planted in a local church. Here's what I see after 15 years of church leadership experience. I see people disconnecting from the local church. I actually see them straying from God. It's true. Now, you know, I don't expect everyone's going to commit to destiny for life. It might be that God, you feel, all right, I've got to go to another church. Well, listen, even in that step, make sure it's the Lord, not, not react, not because, oh, so-and-so hacked me off. Oh, the Lord's calling me to leave. No, no, you're just being a weakling and you're not confronting the issues. So maybe you've got to face up to some things, right? No such thing as a perfect church. This church is messed up. People like Sammy in it and, and me. Messed up. I'm a messed up pastor. We're a messed up church. Welcome to church. It's always, you know, there's so many things we're really, really not good at, but tough. This is who we are, and we're dedicated to changing. I'm committed to this thing. You are. God is. And I urge you, be planted in the local church. Have this commitment to the house of God. And it says, you know, that those goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Actually, an accurate translation of the Hebrew is, will pursue me. Notice it doesn't say you should pursue goodness and mercy. 
It doesn't say, go and pursue blessing. It says, no, no, go and pursue God's. Let God be your shepherds. And as you pursue God's, blessing pursues you. But strangely, if you make your whole life about pursuing blessing, and God's like a little add-on or a means to that end, you miss everything. So pursue God. And the Bible says, it assures you, it promises you that blessing will pursue you. Pursue God and be planted in the local church. And it goes on and says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sure, it's, it's not talking about coming to church forever. It's talking about a much bigger thing, because this thing called the church is an eternal thing, and God's people will be ever-present in eternity. We are going to be part of God's people for all eternity, forever. The shepherd will lead us for all eternity. Jesus said in John 10, and I end with this verse, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. They will never perish. Do you understand that when you're God's, you're an eternal person? You will never perish. And the Bible says that no one will snatch you out of his hands. I mean, that's so robust. When you're in God's hands, nothing can touch your life. Let's pray to our shepherd. Lord, you are our shepherd. Yahweh, you're our shepherd. We have no wants. You lead us. You guide us. Your rod protects us. Your staff comforts us. You're always with us. You lead us into good places. Blessing follows us. We go through hard times and we're willing to go through hard times. If that's what it means to follow you, then we'll go through the valleys of the shadow of death. And God, we just praise you, God, that you're with us. And praise you, God, you'll never leave us. And that, just like David Livingston, for us, that's the ultimate thing, God. That's the thing that gives us security and confidence in this life and in death and in eternity. Thank you for being our eternal shepherd tonight.